Welcome to Think Again, a podcast by Macquarie Asset Management, providing financial advisors with a fresh perspective and innovative insights, designed to keep you and your clients a step ahead. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Denise St. Ivany. Today, I'm joined once again by Greg Brousseau, Managing Director and Co-Head of Wealth Solutions at Macquarie Asset Management. Greg joined Macquarie in 2022 during the acquisition of Central Park Group and has more than 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Denise. It's great to be back with you. So you've been at the forefront of making institutional quality alternative investment offerings accessible to high net worth individuals for over 25 years. It seems like an exciting time for this part of the business. Would you agree? Yeah. And I think people have seen a lot of sort of input in the financial press. You've seen a lot of new products being introduced. You've seen allocation recommendations change. Um, but it's happened really quickly. I'd say it's happened with real, some real velocity over the last five years. So we got interested in alternatives for high net worth investors slash retail um, probably 20 years ago. And the, the, the our core interest really was we'd gotten to know some of the institutional money managers in private equity and hedge funds. Um, and we were we had spent a lot of time with them. We spent a lot of time on their track records. We really saw the value add. But what we didn't see is any high net worth investors. Um, they were re- really managing money almost exclusively f- exclusively for institutions. Um, they really didn't find the high net worth market that interesting to them. Their model didn't lend itself to that. Their you know sales apparatus and marketing apparatus was really institutional in nature. I think many had a fear that if they were to take high net worth money, it may somehow cast a poor shadow on their institutions and therefore it could put their core business in jeopardy. There's just a lot of reasons. And also they were generally oversubscribed. So when they brought a fund out, they had all the capital they needed. Um, That has slowly started to shift. It caught our interest early because I thought, or we thought that um, the quality of that asset management, the, the, uh, the, in many cases, the um, uh, long-term track records, the risk-adjusted rates of return, um, and the inefficiencies of some of these markets really could generate some, some, some terrific return. Um, so we started having conversations with them, saying, what if we could um, set up a basic structure, a feeder fund structure? We really saw there was demand out there. I think what's changed um, is that these firms have started to see um, what aggregated pools of capital could be, um, and they can be substantially um, complementary to their institutional pools of capital. This this wave is going to be very different than the liquid alternative investment brought out by a lot of mutual funds over the last 10 years. This is sort of the real deal, and I think we could be entering a real renaissance period of product well, you've described several shifts, you know, shifts in attitude, shifts in availability of capital, um, shifts at both the company level, um, the asset management level, as well as the investor level at the um, advice level, you know, so across the board, several shifts. Uh, so why now? You know, you, you've described, we, you know, this has been this evolution to get there, but why now should we really um, have retail investors look at this space? 
I, th I think at the end of the day, this comes back down to effective asset allocation in one's portfolio, right? And I think we went through a period where investors were obsessed with fees and all they want to do is pay their 10 basis points and get their index fund. And I think, I mean, I, I could sit here for a half an hour and talk about why um, traditional allocation needs fortification. I didn't realize that rhymed. Um, but if, if for no other reason that if the S&P, I, I forget the number, what are the top six or seven FANG stocks plus Tesla, you, you end up owning a, a semi-concentrated um, technology fund, right? So everybody wanted, the clients wanted to pay no fees um, because no one could outperform, but it hasn't worked so well with them. I think, as I said before, if, if a lot of the major capital market assumptions are saying five or 6% for equities um, and inflation's three or four, um, how are you gonna get that excess return? Um, then you have your whole fixed income issue. I mean, it, it's pretty attractive right now, but let's see where rates go. So I think there's this whole other world out there of direct lending, of um, co-investment, of the secondary market in private equity in um, six or seven different subcategories in opportunistic credit. You know, investors have really been denied, high net worth have been denied these sectors. And I think it's starting to come on. And that's where, I think from an allocation standpoint, if you're trying to go from, I don't want to oversimplify 40, 40, 20, or 60, 40, 60, 30, 10, whatever you want. If you're looking for some, some more diversification for a more effective way to diversify your portfolio, I think that's, that's the catalyst, at least for my own account. Yeah, so you've described a lot of excitement around the space and with good reasons, but there are obstacles as well. So what about some of the obstacles that both advisors and clients need to be aware of as they investigate investing in this new area? Denise, that, that is a question I appreciate because the first half of my comments made it sound very rosy and, hey, you just got to put your 20% in three or four funds and you're all set. It's, there's barriers, there's no question. Um, and in no particular order, um, a lot of these return streams come with illiquidity, right? Better known as an illiquidity premium. Now, Yale University doesn't worry about liquidity, but Dr. Jones does. And he or she needs to appreciate how that fits in to their retirement plans, their portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. That, by the way, I believe is the value add that a lot of the advisors on the call add because you're in the financial planning model. But when you get into these more liquid streams, um, it's important to sit down and really have a plan. Um, as an aside, I think financial advisors tend to overreact to illiquidity more than the client. And I don't blame them because they've been through you know, some of the auction rate preferred wars um, where, they got, where they couldn't get their capital. I think the investor is, my, my experience has been they're a little calmer because they own private companies and real estate, art, et cetera, et cetera. So they don't expect to bid at four o'clock every day. However, I think one of the, there's a list of educational issues that need to be appreciated and liquidity is certainly one of them. Next is fees. Um, in a world where financial press still thinks you're a fool if you pay 12 versus 10 basis points to have your equity managed. And we waltz in with management fees and incentive fees. And, um, and you know, the client sits back and says, I don't understand this. Um, so there's tend to be a lack of appreciation for 
what the fee loads are, not load per se, but the fee entirety is in this world. And, but on the other side of that is a net return. And that's where it has to be measured. But it has to be explained because I think a lot of high net worth have been maybe overreacting to reducing fees versus um, compounding at the most efficient risk-adjusted rate of return. The next, risk-adjusted rate of return. Um, I think that's that needs to be more appreciated. I, my example I always give, if Denise runs a, a mutual fund of technology and Greg runs a mutual fund of technology and Denise compounds at six and I compound at 10, I'm going to get all the money because I'm at 10. But Denise um, never used leverage, was very, very diversified, maybe even hedged. And Greg made that 10% on FANG stocks and leverage. I took much more risk to get to the 10. Your return at six is a much better risk-adjusted rate of return than mine. And therefore, when you enter this world, this risk-adjusted rate of return has to be a little bit more appreciated because you might be taking less return, but you're taking much less risk. And if you're in a, quote, hedge fund and they're not making maximum money in a bull market, you might say, well, why did I bother? And when you get into the opposite end of a bear market and, you know, they've really protected capital. So uh, risk adjusted rates of return. I think they're very unfamiliar asset classes. That's going to take some a, a learning curve, both by client and FA, certainly FA first. Um, I think that, um, you know, if you just get into private equity, there's probably 20 flavors of private equity. Um, and if you get into a fund that is diversified, you might have to talk a little bit about co-investment or secondary funds or the difference between venture and growth capital, traditional buyout. Um, and then you have all these sectory ideas. Um, and then you have the same thing going on in, in, um, in uh, credit. So, and hedge funds. So there's a learning curve in terms of what the expected rate of returns are, what's um, what's to be uh, appreciated in terms of risk. Also, how does it fit into your other um, allocations? So liquidity, fees, strategy, understanding, they're all really important. It takes some time. I think it's worth it. Um, I think a well-diversified portfolio with these, these elements you're better off 10 years from now, but it's, it takes a little bit of work. Yeah, it does take some work. And so I think for a lot of the advisors that haven't uh, jumped into the space yet, they really do need to um, increase their knowledge, um, turn someplace for some guidance as to how to prepare to venture into the space. Do you have any advice for these advisors who want to can learn a lot more about this space so that they can uh, adequately advise their clients? Yeah, I'd say if you had asked me that question 20 years ago, I would recommend like some obscure hedge fund manual. I, I think we're way past that. I think anybody who really wants to come up the curve on this stuff can do it pretty quickly. Um, and it can come a bunch of ways. The alternative investment departments of your firms um, are much bigger and more endowed than they were, you know, five years ago. There's more people, there's more education. I think all those firms understand, and they all have this phrase, which I think we might have coined, which is education before assets. No one's going to give you money until they understand the landscape. So that's the first place to turn. I think you also now have a lot of vendors 
sponsors, money managers calling on you. And they have educational 101 manuals on all these asset classes. So I think it's all out there. You're already 80 yards down the field with your credit and equity understanding and allocation understanding. It's just maybe appreciating some of these uh, more obscure sectors a bit more and asking fundamental questions. Why would anybody give me money if they can't have instant liquidity or the fees are where they are? You know, and the answer, both those have to be because the return justify it. But you've got to you've got to get comfy with that. Well, and it sounds like, too, the resources there to be educated in the space. And so the bottom line, they can help clients have a better outcome over a longer period of time. So you've shared a lot of excellent advice today, Greg, for our listeners. Uh, Thank you very much for your time today. You're very welcome. And I really enjoyed it. Well, remember, you can always get more insights from our investment team on our website. Just visit DelawareFunds.com to learn more. And of course, please join us next time as we discuss another topic for investors to consider. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for more information on topics from this episode. And be sure to subscribe to Think Again wherever you get your podcasts. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only, and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objective will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation, and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warrant expressed or implied is made as to the accuracy of completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Macquarie Asset Management is a full-service asset manager offering a diverse range of products across public and private markets, including fixed income, equities, multi-asset solutions, private credit, infrastructure, renewables, natural assets, real estate, and asset finance. The public investment business is a part of Macquarie Asset Management and includes investment products and advisory services distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors, LP, a registered broker slash dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment Advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of MIMBT. Macquarie Group refers to Macquarie Group Limited and its subsidiaries and affiliates worldwide. Delaware Funds by Macquarie refers to certain investment solutions that Macquarie Asset Management Public Investments distributes, offers, refers, or advises. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, any Macquarie Group entity noted in this podcast is not an authorized deposit-taking institution for the purposes of the Banking Act 1959. The obligations of these other Macquarie Group entities 
do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank. Macquarie Bank does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these Macquarie Group entities. In addition, if this podcast relates to an investment, the investor is subject to investment risk, including possible delays in repayment and loss of income and principal invested, and none of the Macquarie Bank or any other Macquarie Group entity guarantees any particular rate of return on or the performance of the investment, nor do they guarantee repayment of capital in respect of the investment. 